0: thing I want you to notice and understand concerning the growth stages that God would have for us is that these are generalities and there's not necessarily one phase to the next to the next they all may blur together and uh, but we're using them as an opportunity to speak and share about how our growth should be here's the second point I want to make that God sees all of this as something positive his growth in His children is always something from glory to what? Glory. In the NIV in the, it says with ever-increasing glory. There is glory attached to our growth, our spiritual growth. Uh, the final dimension that we're supposed to reach in our full uh, stature is to what? Be conformed to the image of whom? Christ. We're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to sound like Jesus, talk like Jesus. And this growth... Process, these stages that we're growing through are to develop the very character and nature of Christ in us so that we look like Him and sound like Him, that we are sons of God. And in that process, we're going to go through different growth stages, and it's always positive. What's, what tends to happen is we think of it as negative. When God points out a sin in our life or a weakness in our life, we feel negative, like we've let Him down. He sees it as positive. Finally, got you to pay attention to this thing. <laughs> now we can heal it. Now we can mend it. Now we can move on. With Christ it's all positive because the work he's begun in you, he's able to what? Complete in you. You see so so this process is all a positive growth process though it may be painful for us. It is the strengthening of the Lord to get us into the image of Christ. And so we need to have that understanding. R.C. Ryle said this, that if you feel great conviction over your sin, that means that sanctification is working in your life. Rejoice. Rejoice over it. You see, if you didn't care whether you were convicted of sin, we would have to question whether you're saved or not. Right? But you care. You mourn over your sin. That's what a good son or daughter of God should do when you Uh, misrepresent him. So let's take a look at this. We're going to look at our first stage of growth. How many of you remember getting your head measured when you were a kid just to see if you grew or not? Well, we're going to measure it by the Scriptures and by Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Now, what I want to take you to is the story that you're all familiar with in Matthew 16. It starts at verse 13. And Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is all right he's asking for the popular opinion poll so who who do people say that i am and then this is the popular opinion some say you're john the baptist now i never understood that he's six john the baptist was 6 months older than jesus and he was recently killed how could jesus be john the baptist it makes no sense at all but Of course, that's popular opinion. Most of the time, popular opinion does not make much sense at all. They say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, while others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but how about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And what we have here is kind of uh, an outline of the first stage of growth for a believer. The first stage of growth of a believer is to, well, of someone to come to Christ is first of all, who is God? That was Jesus' first question who do men say that I am? What's the popular opinion? What's, what's the word on the street? You know, who is God? What does God look like? And, and we'll take a look at that. Then it goes on and he says, then he says, well, who do you say? You see, no, one's, no one can go to heaven by following a popular opinion. Or the crowd. Everybody is responsible re- uh, personally for their salvation. All right, You can't get saved because your mama and daddy are saved. You can't get saved because the whole family saved. You can't get saved because you live in America. You have to personally respond to God. And that's when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Then after they said that, we see that there is a supernatural intervention. None of us can get saved by our efforts. There has to be a supernatural intervention. Peter said, you are Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't figure that out on your own. That was revealed to you by my Father. There must be a supernatural intervention. Christianity is a supernatural faith. All right, We should have an expectation for the supernatural. We want to control this thing, and we want to mechanize it. We want to synchronize it. We want to make it something that's engineered. You say this, you'll get that. You walk like this, follow these seven steps... He is a personal God who is super or above the natural, and we've got to get out of the natural if we're going to grow in the supernatural. That's just common sense. <laughs> right? right? If we're supposed to grow supernaturally, you can't do it in the natural. All right, I'm, I'm lingering. i need, I got a lot to cover. All right, so uh, there has to be a supernatural event God's impartation into us of revelation knowledge of who Christ is. Uh, by faith we are birthed into the kingdom. Then I love what happens next, and this is all covering that first stage. Now Jesus identifies Peter. He said, you've got to figure out who I am. God will supernaturally bring that revelation to you. Once you've got that, now I'm going to identify who you are. He re-identifies Peter. Peter's no longer a fisher of uh, fish. He's now going to be a fisher of men. He's no longer just going to be a little pebble. He is now going to be, by his confession, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That confession is what is going to build the church, the kingdom of God. A confession of faith. You see, and so he begins to identify a new identity in Peter. And so that's what I want you to see. And then he goes on and he says this, I want to show you what you're going to become. Come on, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's crazy stuff. All from a question of, who do you say I am? And so this is the first stage of our growth, and I want to take you through that. Stage one of Christian growth is all about identification. I told you about that last week. We're going to look at this. It's all about identification. This is a very important word. It's a very important concept. And many of us, as we're growing in our Christianity, like I said, these stages Uh, are not specific this and that they they flow in and out but one of the key things is identification and there are many christians who who understand they're saved they understand this and that but they don't understand who they are in christ and they need to learn that identification so let's look at this first stage of christian growth and see where we can come identification first one is this who do men say that i am right? Who do men say that I am? And so the very first identification is this, who is God? In order for you to come into salvation, you have to identify God, for there is only one God, there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. There's a lot of gods out there, how many of you know that? Buddha, Krishna, uh, Muhammad, uh, well, he, uh, Muhammad's God is, is Allah, right? Uh, just all different names of gods. There's all sorts of different gods. Then you throw in Zeus, Apollos, right? Roman gods. Throw in some Viking gods, Thor and who else? Uh, put them all in there. Mix them all up. Who is God? How can you identify God? You see, this is the key. In order to get saved, you have to identify God. Well, if there is a God and he's good, he'll save me. I'm fine. Well, that's not that case. That's not the case. You see, and the world has gotten to a place where there are so many gods, people don't know how to choose. They don't know how to pick. You see, because uh, the world's no longer isolated, and so now your neighbor is Muslim. Now your neighbor's a Buddhist, where before, you know, we had our little group of people, and we just followed the collective group. 80% of Americans say they're Christian. Because they're born in supposedly a Christian nation. This is not a Christian nation. It's a pagan nation now. Started out Christian, but please don't misunderstand. The population of this country, I'm not talking about the rocks and the trees, the population of this country is pagan. They do not follow the God of the Bible. Don't get me started on that prayer at the end of the inaugural address, if anybody heard it, asking God to bless this mess. Right? Right? Anyways, we've got to get right with God before He can bless something. <laughs> I'm sorry, I moved on. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, thank you. All right, we have to identify God that, that, so that we worship the right God. Now, how do we identify a God? This, many people are confused by it. Could I encourage you to begin challenging every belief system? Could I encourage you to do that? Could I encourage you, when you're with other people, challenge belief systems? But, but that, that seems, you see, a challenge to a belief system, people think that that's narrow-minded. It's just a discussion. We're to be gentle, we're to be considerate of others, but would you please begin to challenge every belief system? What you're going to find out is people don't know what they believe or why they believe it. But they're comfortable to believe it until somebody would challenge them. And they're not going to come to the truth unless someone presents truth to them. Now, uh, we go on and it says there is a God. Which God is real and what is he like? And so where are we going to get the foundation to figure out God? Well, we do know, Paul says in the book of Romans, that first of all, all of creation reveals that there is a God. All right? God is in creation. We see that by design. Man has effectively eliminated that through the wonders of science, the God of science, right? Most of the early scientists were Christians, and they saw the wonder of God in science. We say the word science now when we think that immediately eliminates God, which is foolishness. All science can do is tell you how something's made or what it looks like, but not who makes it, Right? They, they, they have to come up with fables and, and ideas about how things were made. So, but look at truth has become relative. That's why we have to speak and challenge beliefs as much as we can. There are, as I've been studying and the Lord has been really showing to me, there are really three inexplicable divine attributes that, that you need to put out there to understand that there is a God. Number one is beauty. Number two is justice. Number three is love. Why do these three things exist? Beauty, justice, and love. Why is this innate in every human soul? Why does it exist in nature? If there is no God, why is there beauty? Why is there beauty? Why is there a sense of justice in everyone? Why is there any justice? If there is no God, then why is there a concept of justice? And where in the world does love fit in with all of this? These three things are the main attributes of God. And if you would seek them out, you're going to find that there is a higher power. Every civilization has come to the knowledge that there is some higher power that has some level of control, some level of benevolence, some level of beauty and justice. So we have to try and find out how to find God. And so we believe in authoritative truth versus relative truth. That authoritative truth is through the Word of God. We believe that God revealed Himself to us. And so now we have an argument between who's got the most sacred text. And so you have to challenge the texts. We have to do the homework. All right. Now, you can come to God and be saved without doing any of that homework. He can bring that revelation to you without you doing your study and without you doing any of this. God can just break in your life and bring you into a knowledge of Him. How many of you know that? But once that happens, you need to begin studying and understanding, especially as Christians, so that we can support and defend our faith. Now, so you have to come to a knowledge of God in order to be saved. And so we need to bring people into the presence of a knowledge that there is a God. Challenge every belief system. Most people who believe in evolution have no idea what evolution is. They don't even know how it functions or works or what the theories are. But they've been brainwashed and taught that. Challenge it. People are not used to challenges. Most of you got saved because your belief system got challenged by what is true. You don't have to win the argument. You just have to present the argument. God's Word will not return void. He'll do the rest. It's a supernatural work. Do your do, we do our natural part. He does the supernatural. Amen? Now, the next thing, after we identify God, this is the beginning stages. We begin to identify God. Now, now please understand something. As you continue to grow in your Christian walk, it never goes away. You, begin to get to, you get to know God in a greater measure continually and continually. You continually identify who God is. Jehovah God that we worship, that we serve, I know Him better today than I did a year ago. There's a greater understanding of who he is in my life than, than two years ago, than two months ago. So, this never stops, this identifying God. And if you think you've figured him all out, you've got a long way to go. All right? So, this whole aspect, everything in our stages of growth in Christianity, it stays with us and it, and it continue, continually needs to grow. Who is God? Well, we know. He's Jesus Christ in the flesh. So then after you've done that, your next stage is, who am I? This is how most people get saved, in a crisis. You have to have a crisis. Because when you are confronted by a holy God, it identifies who you are. So people have a personal crisis. Uh, This is funny. In in our culture, we're all about self-awareness, aren't we? Self-awareness. Being very aware of who we are in ourselves. Get in touch with your inner man and your inner woman and your inner child. What else should we get inner? Right? Aren't these all statements? You need to get to know your inner, your female side, your male side, your inner child. And our self-esteem. We need to have... Good personal self-esteem, self-identity, self-purpose, self-growth. I find that fascinating, don't you? That the world without the Lord works so hard on personal self-help growth. And when you're confronted with God, the first thing He says is, you're a wretch and a sinner going to hell. Excuse me? I've just spent 20 years trying to improve myself, and you're telling me, I'm unworthy and there's nothing here that's any good. That's right. You know, isn't it interesting that so much self-help has moved into the gospel? People have been taking out uh, in amazing grace, amazing grace, how oh, uh, sweet, huh, saved a wretch like me. Some folks have changed that wretch. They don't, that's, that's not very Edifying. You see what I'm saying? We we have gotten to such a place of let's be so self-motivated and self-centered and self-caring and self-this. The Gospel says, well, what does it say? According to Romans 3, verses 10-12, through it says, There is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, There is no one who does good, not even one. That offends everyone because it convicts everyone equally. Now, if you'll see in the book of Romans, Paul is actually using that quote from David in the Psalms to speak against the Jews. You think you're God's chosen people. You think you're great, better than the Gentiles or the other nations. But in fact, there's no one good. No, not one. That is offensive to the Oprah generation. We are offended by this. I've been trying my hardest to, to make myself a good person. If you ask the average person, go door to door, say, will they go to heaven? Are they serving God? They'll say, well, I am a what? Good person. Is that what the Bible says? No. So if you're there and they say, but I'm a good person, you could say this. You could tell them biblically, no, you're a wretch going to hell. But I don't think that would work. But everyone in this house who claims the name of Jesus had to come to that identification. You have to come into this identification. You can't escape the righteousness and holiness of God because His Son hung on a cross for one reason. You and I are lost. No one is good. There is none righteous, not one. Now that pierces us, but you cannot grow as a Christian if you think that there is some ounce of righteousness in your own self. Now God loves us so much that he wants to rescue us from this broken sin life and restore life to us and make us all that we can become, but that's through Christ, not our work or our effort. Okay, so this is another point of identification. We have to identify God. And God is holy. God is righteous. God is creator. God is maker of all things. And when we identify Him in His holiness, we recognize who we are. We are lost in our sinfulness. And so we identify ourselves. God identifies us. Now, when we identify ourselves, we run into another level of identification. You can't come to a holy God, once you've identified Him, you've found Him, you've come to Him, and you identify Him. He identifies you as a sinner. Once you are identified as a sinner, you now have to identify sin. Now here's something you have to grow in, and Christians are still growing in this. I remember sitting in a uh, uh, a church service once and a man stood up and said, I, th- I want to thank God because uh, uh, He has kept me and and uh, He didn't need to save me from much. I wasn't a smoker. I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't a philanderer. I didn't do this. Now the depth of that man's level of identification as a sinner didn't really get fully grasped by him, did it? And so you can identify particular sins. You can say, well, I, I, I guess I'm a sinner. I have lied, and I, but I didn't do bad things. I haven't killed anybody. I didn't commit adultery. I, I didn't do uh, this or I didn't do that. So there's a few sins that I am guilty of. That's not the identification you need to understand when you come to Christ. You need to understand that we are totally depraved, That we are lost completely in sin. Dead to God in sin. It's not like we've made a few mistakes. And a lot of people want that. See, that's what's so hard about having people come to Christ. You really have to face the identification that you are a depraved sinner. Well, this sounds like like that old Puritan language from the 1800s. This is the 21st century. We are so much further ahead, aren't we, as a people? Yeah, that's a great evidence. I love that. But this is a modern people. Right, right, okay, so there's less people dying, less people killing, less murder, less, less sin in the world, right? We've evolved, haven't we? Come on. Challenge every statement someone makes. Do it with love. Challenge it. The truth and love. The truth in love. All right, what does it mean to be totally depraved? We are not utterly depraved. We still hold the image of God. Every human being does. So we're not saying we're utterly depraved. In other words, we're not at the place of being base animals, though there are people who act that way and behave that way. We're not utterly depraved at the worst that we can be but we are totally depraved. What that means is every part of our being is lost in sin. Our intellect, our emotions, our will are consumed with a sin nature. So in total, we are lost. There's nothing good within me, Paul said. That is, within my flesh. Once he got saved, he differentiated between the Spirit of God in him and who he is in Christ with his flesh. But if you're not saved, we are totally depraved there's nothing in us that can get to a place of righteousness so that's total depravity not other utter depravity in fact this is a reason why there's a hell you see if 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 you put an eternal being and remember all human beings are eternal if you give an eternal being eternity in a fallen nature they will become utterly depraved Because they're totally depraved. And so when someone who is totally depraved leaves this body and goes into the eternal state unsaved, they will become utterly depraved without any time. And so God had to create a container to put all these unsaved people in, and it is called hell. It is to contain those who are totally depraved for eternity. That's a scary thought. Total depravity for all eternity with an ever-increasing sin. Now you understand the reason for hell. It is essential to have a place so that eternal beings will be kept from their total corrupting of all of God's work. Do you see this? That's the reason for hell. Now, this identification of sin. Brothers and sisters, if we ever want to grow in Christ, we have got to confront our sin. Because it is the sanctifying power of God that is setting us free from it. Don't hide it. Bring it to God so He can heal it and deal with it. We saw that right in the beginning at the garden. Alright, so you become identified with God, you identify yourself, you identify your sin. Not just particular sins, but that you are completely in sin. That That shows you there is nothing you can do except cry out for the mercy of God. And can I tell you if you've been saved for 50 years, it is good to know that it is Christ and Christ alone that has saved us. It is good to weep over our sin before God and say, God, I've known you 50 years and I'm so sorry that I'm still dealing with this issue or that issue. Deliver me. We must be broken over our sin. Now, if we have identified God, He's identified who we are, which identifies us as sinners, we then... Identify Jesus. Why do I identify Jesus? Because Jesus came. Because God so loved the world, He came to take our sin and its judgment completely upon Himself. That is a wonder we should never stop praising God for. I don't care how mature you are, how many gifts of the Lord you operate in, how many titles and uh, accolades you have in the kingdom of, the, of God. There's only one reason you and I are saved. It's for the love of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. His blood. So no matter how much you do grow through these stages, we always come back to this one concept. But by the grace of God, go I. Go I. And so we identify Jesus, and this is the most wonderful thing. When you came in tonight, we, we began to sing about Jesus. We began to praise Jesus. We began to worship Jesus because there is no greater love demonstrated than Christ on the cross. And when I have found out that I am utterly depraved, I am utterly lost and bound to an eternity in hell, but God came through His Son to save me, to literally take upon Himself my sin, My responsibility for my actions, of everything I've done, He took them on Himself so that He would take my judgment for me. My gosh. That is amazing. That is a God of love. We identify the love of God. This is the first stage of salvation. You identify your sin. You identify your brokenness. When you can do this, you then identify the love of God of God you may not know all the theology around it you may not understand the depth of it but one thing you know I was lost and now I'm found the love of God pursued me I'm saved we identify Jesus and I love what first John 2 2 says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. There is the love of God. God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this identification is key. It is key. Don't lose your grip on these things. You know who God is, continue to reinforce it. You understand who you are, continue to reinforce it. You understand that you were once a sinner, continue to reinforce it now, knowing that the blood of Jesus has saved you from your sin. You've got to identify with that. You've got to get this. So Many Christians don't identify this. They don't understand that the blood of Jesus has cleansed them from their sins. Peter even talks about it when he says, if you don't understand this, you'll become weak, not understanding your sins have been forgiven you. And there are Christians who have issues in their lives that they can't forgive themselves over. They they can't let go of them. Well, I know He saved me, but I just can't let go of this issue. I can't let go of the sin. You're not identifying what Christ accomplished on the cross. You're not fully accepting what Christ has done. If you would understand, if I would understand fully what it means to be justified by the blood of Jesus, there is now therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Many of you are in shackles and chains by a demonic enemy that makes you think some righteous way that if I continue to grovel over my past sin, God will like me better. It's a denial of what Christ has completely, once and for all, finished on the cross. Be free. Be free. See, it it is one thing to mourn over my sin and repent over sin that I have committed knowing that I am uh, 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 offending the fellowship I have with my Father. But it does not cost me my salvation. It doesn't cause me or cause me to have Christ leave me. He saved me when I was a sinner. You think He's going to leave me now that I'm His Son? So we need to consider what this has done. Jesus breaks the power of sin and death to enable His Spirit to come into us. Now, if we identify who Jesus is and identify the cross of Christ, we now have been able to release this sin unto Him. He didn't have to do this, but He did. And since He did, release it! This is the only cleansing for the human soul and so take full advantage of this love that is being offered to you a clean conscience and a complete separation from sin breaking the power of sin and death that is awesome and so that's an identifying from here on out we seek out our sin that is in us Because He put His Spirit of holiness in us. Now, the reason I confess my sin, the reason I point out my sin, is not to be condemned by it. It's been covered by the blood. Now I confess it. Now I identify it and I find it. Because His Spirit of holiness dwells in me, He wants to eradicate it out of me and cause me to not walk that way again. He's teaching me how to overcome sin. He's not condemning me of it he's pointing it out so that we can beat it you get this you see we keep thinking we're getting condemned we sinned against god we're condemned we don't want to go to him we don't want to talk to him no when you're convicted of sin begin to pro- confess it begin to ask jesus father show me where is the root of this thing why do i keep going back to it go to your friends at church and say look at i sinned i did this and i did this can you help me what are you crazy but that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be. Brother, let's pray together. Confess your faults one to another so that you may be what? Healed. Healed, healed of what? Healed of what? Sin. Do you mean to tell me a Christian can be healed from a besetting sin? Yes. Read Romans 6. That's what he's talking about. Jesus has conquered sin and death. He's conquered the grave. He will no longer die. Therefore, in the same way, you should no longer sin. What? Yeah. We are all in the process right here. This is why you're here tonight, so that we're all working on any residue of sin that's in us. See, we can be bold about it. We don't hide it. Oh, he doesn't. If you identify with Christ on the cross, knowing why he died to seal and secure your salvation, then what he's doing is flushing the system. He put a spirit of holiness in you so that now he will progressively clean us and give us power over sin. We won't be duped. We won't fall again to the besetting sins and the patterns in our thinking. Our mind's getting renewed. So we don't sit here and judge one another and say, oh, I'm better than they are. They did this sin and I never have. Give me a break. That sounds and looks like Jesus, doesn't it? I don't think so. So we identify with the cross and and Jesus Christ and we recognize that now there is a victory here. There is a power over sin in the grave. There is something happening in me that is identifying me, and that's the next level of identification identifying faith. I've identified that I'm a sinner, that I'm depraved, but identified that Christ came to set me free from the power of sin and death and give me the spirit of life and now He has given me faith. I identify that by faith I'm saved. Romans 6, 4-6. through We were buried, therefore, with Him in baptism unto death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what? Walk in newness of life. That's a present tense thing here. The newness of life is now, by faith. It says that He was raised from the dead so that we too might walk in that same resurrection power now. You with me? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Then that's the power you and I need to be living right now in faith. You have to identify with that. And this is what I'm talking about. There's so many Christians have not identified. This is such a key word. You were buried in baptism. You were identified with Christ on the cross. I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. I'm no longer classified or identified as a sinner depraved. I am now classified or identified as a child of God. Because faith has been identified, erupted in me. And come forward, I trust Him. For if we have been united with Him in death. Could I say another word for united with Him in death? Could I say identified with Him in death? Do you see this union? Salvation is a coming by faith in union into Christ Jesus. I always sing this song at this point whenever I share this part of the word. Were you there When they crucified my Lord. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you were. Yes, I was. I was nailed on that cross with Him. I was buried in that grave with Him. I rose from the dead with Him. He ascended into the heavens and I'm on my way there too. Complete identification with Christ. That's how God sees it. Not, I'm doing the best I can. I'm struggling to be good. Your identification is in Christ. It is a covenant union. I am in Christ. I was buried with Him. That's why we put people in that water tank. There's nothing holy in that water. We're saying you are dead and buried, identified with the sins that Christ bore on the cross and buried. And we bring them back up and say you are now identified as a son of God, a child of God. Cleansed from all unrighteousness. Put the spirit of holiness in you to now live unto righteousness. Identification. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm sorry, am I reading something new? Is this a new revelation here? Romans 6. I can't even see it. I don't have my glasses. But I'm going to try and read it. We know that our old self was crucified with Him. You believe that? Paul goes on later to tell us that what we are actually contending with is not the old man, but the flesh. The container, that, that didn't get changed. We will shed this container, but in this container is all sorts of, uh, the power of sin still resides in that. But that's not your identification. You have a new identification. That's, you've been taken out of Adam and you've been put in Christ. You have a new identification in Christ. just happen to carry it in an old container. That's what we're working on. And that's what's progressing. But listen to what he says. You were crucified. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that. All right, now that seems like a plan. Right? There seems to be like a a purpose to this. Jesus died on the cross so that by faith we would die too. This is the supernatural I was talking about. When Jesus told Peter, you didn't understand that until father revealed that this is the part of salvation that is completely supernatural by faith you are supernaturally taken out of adam and supernaturally identified in christ so that your sin is removed so that god's holy presence holy spirit holy nature can now come inside of you to live and dwell god said we're going to make it our house it's going to be our abode our home God lives in us that 's your new identification, so that in order that the body of sin, this flesh, might be brought to what 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 happens when something's brought to nothing yeah it's done right so that it would be so that oh we got another another end to this, so that we would no longer Be enslaved to sin. I'm sorry, we're at stage one of our walk in Christ. We should know this stuff. We stay at this stage most of our lives. What we really need to do is identify what Christ did for us so that we will be victorious and have a spirit of overcoming sin. And break free from the besetting sin. Break free from the lies of this world and this culture that we're living in. Come on, we gotta break free from this stuff. Isn't it time for us to grow up? In dealing with sin, isn't it time for us to grow up? so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Boy, that's what happens when you identify yourself in Christ by faith. The supernatural takes over. You begin to recognize who you are. You've got to begin feeding that faith nature. You've got to begin studying the Word of God. You've got to begin seeking the face of God. You've got to be in the presence of the Lord. You've got to listen to the voice of the Spirit. All of this is available to us. So that last of all, We identify our salvation. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does He own you? Did He buy you with a price? Is He the shepherd of your soul, the bishop of your soul? Is He the high priest and mediator over you and your salvation? Is he the author and perfecter of your faith? Has he sealed you with his very own spirit unto the day of redemption? You see, now this is that first stage, identification, I know this, I know this, I know this. There are so many Christians who live a Christian life of, gee, I hope I get to heaven. Gee, I hope I make it. You haven't even entered into stage one. John says these things are written so that you may know salvation. One of the first things I want to do when people get saved is I want to help them understand and secure them in their salvation to know what it means to be saved. We've got to teach people this. Many people say the sinner's prayer, but they fall away because they've never found the faith entering into salvation. The faith had never been activated. They didn't know who they were believing, what they were believing. They just liked the deal you presented them. But when it came to pay for it, out of their account, they couldn't. They didn't want to give up everything. And so this is the key. This is what he 's talking about when the seed was sown on thorny ground and, and, and on the, the rough ground, and when it found good soil, it came to the place of identifying salvation Romans eight fifteen and sixteen For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That is identifying with Christ. And so this whole first stage of growth in Christ Is knowing that you are saved from your sins, knowing that you are sealed by God's own Spirit, knowing that you belong to Him, and you are His possession, and that in this life you are now to grow and overcome sin and the world. That's the beginning stage of this salvation. It's yours, it's ours. Now, all of this doesn't just go away. We don't, we don't learn it and then leave it. It stays with us, right? It's like when you learned your addition and your math tables in kindergarten. You still use it, don't you? Yeah. Right? Two plus two is four. These are the elementary things. that It's that, the bedrock of our salvation, but it's the birthing that we came into so this is our first stage. We're going to look at the next phase next week. But I, I want us all to get to this place of such a... It would be enough if we had this. It would be enough to praise Him for all eternity for this. But there is so much more. Wow. Let's pray. Father God.